0: Well, the following are the words of Special Agent Zvi Harmoni, who works with the Mossad in Israel. On May 4th of 1960, I boarded the 203 bus in Buenos Aires, and immediately I feared that I had made a very big mistake. Ricardo Clement. He was already on the bus. I was hoping the bus driver would not ask me any questions and therefore expose my foreign accent. Fortunately, I put down my four pesos and there were no questions. Shockingly, unbelievably, there was only one open seat on the bus and it was directly behind him. Just inches away from him, I was now sitting. And I thought about the man he was in his former life. I thought about my aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, nieces, all of whom, everyone, had their lives taken. I thought about all my friends who had lost so many of their families in the evil plan that this man, who was sitting right in front of me, carried out but then I thought about one other thing this man who had taken the lives of millions was now found and 15 years after the war and literally on the other side of the world justice had finally caught up with him and it was coming only this man's name was not Ricardo Clement the name of this man was Adolf Eichmann Adolf Eichmann was the architect of the genocidal policy in Nazi Germany known as the Final Solution. The Final Solution was the plan to develop and cultivate a number of concentration camps and exterminate millions of people, and that's exactly what they did. After Eichmann was captured in Argentina because he had fled there after the war, he was taken to Israel of all places where he was tried and on June 1st, 1962, he received capital punishment. Well the news, it absolutely reverberated across the entire world. Jews and other survivors who had endured unimaginable suffering found solace knowing one of the designers of the destruction of their people was finally meeting the justice he deserved it was a moment of closure for some and a chapter of euphoric celebration for others now typically we're taught not to celebrate in the demise of our enemies we're taught by the lord jesus in his word to pray for our enemies to pray for those who persecute us. So as believers, it doesn't come natural to celebrate the destruction of the wicked, but there are some exceptions. And I think in the case of Adolf Eichmann, there was some legitimacy to celebrating his demise. The same sentiment is reflected in our passage today in Revelation 18 as we see great rejoicing, Tremendous rejoicing at the fall of Babylon. Look with me at verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. That statement is made with joy and celebration and thanksgiving. Finally, after all of these years, Babylon has fallen. Fallen and ended is everything in our world that opposes the Lord Jesus Christ, his gospel, his kingdom, and his church. Finally, she has met her end. Beloved, with that in mind, let's stand for the reading of God's word. As we are entering the descent, if you will, from our plane, we're entering the descent of our series through Revelation. We probably have two or three more sermons to go in this amazing book, and then we will shift into a prequel of what's coming in the fall. But for today, our attention is Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. John writes, the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos in the Roman penal colony, he writes, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations, have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Verse 4 Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds, a mix, a double portion for her and the cup she has mixed, as she glorified herself herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, I'm not mourning, I shall never see mourning. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Okay, as we've seen over the past few weeks, this kind of, um, these repeated patterns, these themes, these ideas, these messages that keep being spoken over and over again, The fancy word is kind of recapitulation, same story from different perspectives, repeated. And with each time the stories are repeated, these stories intensify, they gain focus, they are more sobering. This is talking about the demise, the great judgment of the world. Look with me at verse 1, John writes after this, I, I saw another angel. Coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. That is an event that marks great celebration. She has become a dwelling place for demons. This is what's happened to her at the end. She's become a haunt. For every unclean spirit a haunt for every unclean bird a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast why for all the nations and this will be key to understanding who she is for all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of of her luxurious livings. And so what we've seen over and over again is Revelation is symbolically presenting the war between Christ and his church and the world and the flesh and the devil that began and intensified in new ways at the ascension of the Lord Jesus. And it will be manifested and lived out and repeated in every phase of the church from the ascension of Jesus until Jesus comes again in power and glory. It is recapitulating these same patterns that will culminate at the end, at the final judgment, with the fall of Babylon. That's what we have before us. Babylon isn't to be literally taken as like, Babylon, that ancient foe of Israel. Babylon, in the book of Revelation, is symbolic of the world. The unbelieving, hostile forces of the world that hate Christ and hate his gospel and hate his church and do everything they can to take the church down. Babylon symbolizes the unbelieving hostile forces of the world. So in the Old Testament, Israel had two, mari- two primary enemies, like two enemies that rose above the rest, Egypt, obviously, and then ultimately Babylon, who defeated Israel, destroyed the temple, and took thousands and thousands of people into captivity. So Babylon here is, is personified as the world that she's going to get her due at the end of time. Look with me at verses four through eight from Revelation eighteen four through eight. John writes, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. So there's a role for us. There's a role for the church. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, in other words, in her demise. Why? For her sins, they are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. And if you remember that from the Old Testament, there were two cups that were more significant than any other cups in the context of the Old Testament. Like in Psalm 23, you see the beauty and the wonder of what cup? The cup of blessing that with the Lord one day my cup, if I'm with my shepherd, what does it do? It overflows. And what will follow me all the days of my life? Goodness and mercy. That's called the cup of blessing. But there's another cup. You've heard this before. That's presented in the Old Testament. The cup of God's wrath. It is a metaphor for judgment. And one day, all of those who have not trusted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. will have to drink from that cup. The Bible says all the way to the end, every drop, all the way to the dregs and the bitter portions God will make the unbelieving world to drink from. So remember that. That's what's in view. You don't want to drink from the cup of wrath. Of course we want to drink from the cup of blessing. Verse seven, as she glorified herself... Meaning the world, the unbelieving world. She is a metaphor, Babylon, of the unbelieving world. What is true? What is the mark of the unbelieving world? Verse seven. She glorified herself and she lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart, she says, in other words, at the bottom, when all is said and done, this is the attitude of the world. I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. I'm fine, I have no concerns, I'm totally self-sufficient. Verse 8, it is for this reason, that her plagues will come in a single day. Death, and mourning, and famine, and she, the world, will be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So this is so certain, this judgment of the unbelieving world symbolized by Babylon, it's so certain and so fixed and so unalterable that it's spoken of as if it's already happened. Look at verse eight. This is a very sobering reminder. The apostle John writes in verse eight, her meaning babylon meaning the world her plagues will come in a single day what does that mean that means it's like just one more day that means that jesus is coming like a thief in the night for the unbelieving world this is going to happen shockingly fast there's going to be absolutely no warning and so either you're ready or you're not you're prepared or you're not that's what it means her plagues her judgment will come in a single day you see that theme all over the new testament in first thessalonians 5 5 paul writes the coming of jesus is going to come like a thief in the night you know if you knew the thief was coming you would prepare yourself But since you don't know when he's coming, you have to always be prepared. Or in 2 Peter 3, the apostle Peter reinforces the fact that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. That people, in a sense, will be living like the world's never going to end and they're going to be completely shocked. And that's a sobering thing. And so we need to be careful and watchful. I once read this fascinating story about a 10-year-old girl from England named Tilly Smith and Tilly and her family were going on holiday. They were going on vacation to Thailand for their beautiful beaches Tilly and her mom and her dad and her sister, they're out on the beach swimming in the water enjoying the beauty and the gorgeousness of this place, when all of a sudden Tilly noticed that the water, the water got very frothy, like if you were to shake up a soda can and you get that fizz. And that seemed very unique and unusual that the water is literally like soda can fizz. And then all of a sudden she saw the water go out like it was taking a deep breath. And she instantly knew what it was. No one on the beach, no one else knew what it was. Believe it or not, two weeks before, one of her teachers in school in England had taught the class about the warning signs of a tsunami. And that immediately before a tsunami, you'll see this fizz, like from a soda can and the surf, and the waves and the water will go out much farther than usual, like it's taking a deep breath. And when that happens, you head for high ground. And Tilly screamed out to her mother and her father and her sister, come away, come out, we have to leave, we have to go, we have to get out of here. Her father and her sister, they were reluctant. This seemed odd and strange, but she was so earnest and so sincere and so panicked that They left. Her mother said, no, thank you. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to stay here. So she comes back to her mom and screams, come away with me. This is happening. Thankfully, her mom listened. And they got to high ground. And right when they did, a massive tsunami wave came in that killed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You may have read about it in the news in 2004, When the tsunami hit Thailand. We as the people of God have to be ready. We have to come out of the world as it is. And live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 18 verse 4. This is the key theme of the chapter. Not only is Babylon fallen she's judged, she's going to meet her end. That's true for them, but this is true for us. Just like like Tilly calling out to her parents, like, you know, judgment's coming, doom is coming, we've got to get out of here. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, meaning Babylon, the world. Come out of the world, as it were. My people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, or her demise. Now, this is fascinating. What did we say about the book of Revelation? What's the relationship between the book of Revelation and the Old Testament? Almost every passage in the book of Revelation has an Old Testament precursor. Every passage in Revelation is alluding back to something in the Old Testament. This theme about come out come out from the world come out from where you are and live for the lord he is all over the old testament what did god command moses to do he command i'm sorry noah god commanded noah to do what to build an ark so that he and his family could do what to come out of the world and seek safety and refuge in the ark because the flood waters the tsunami waters were coming The rest of the world thought what about Noah and his family? That they were crazy. They were out of their mind. This seems ridiculous. Noah was called out of the world into the ark, and he was saved. And it just builds from there. What about Abraham? Now, this is fascinating. Where was Abraham when he was called out of his nation to go to Canaan? Do you remember in the Old Testament, Genesis 12? He was called to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. That's a fancy way of describing ancient Babylon. You think about this. Here we are all these years later, and the very country that Abraham was called out of so that he could receive the promises of God was ancient Babylon, the enemy of the Lord's people. And if you know the story... Abraham is called out of Ur. Did Abraham get up and just go right to Canaan, the promised land? No. Where did he stop? He stopped in Haran because it's very difficult to leave the world. It's very difficult to be in the world but not of the world. Think of the genius of the Holy Spirit who had all of these truths embedded from the very beginning. Yahweh God Almighty had to issue a second call, according to Genesis 1, to Abraham, to come out. To come out of your comfort zone, come out of where you find things familiar, and come to the land of promise, which was not easy and is never easy. Genesis 19, God called his nephew Lot to come out of where? To come out of Sodom, which ultimately he did. But what about his wife? She's unnamed. Her heart was divided. She looked back. She didn't want to leave. And she turned to a pillar of salt. What about, and again, it just intensifies. It becomes more clear. What about Exodus 3? What did God say to his people? When they were in Egypt, what did he call them to do? He called them to come out of Egypt. He sent to them a deliverer, okay? And when things got tough and difficult, what did the Israelites say to Moses? When things got really hard, Pharaoh oppressed them. He held them even down further. What did the people say to Moses? Um, No, thank you. We're fine here. We'd rather be here. Then when they get emancipated, they're in the wilderness, under duress in the wilderness. What did they say to Moses? What was their complaint? Life was better back there. We had meat in our bellies, water we could drink. We want to go back. Even as God's people, it can be very difficult to not be of the world. It can be very difficult to not love the world too much. And it's extremely difficult to know when that's happening. We don't have like some Geiger counter, okay, that would start sounding off every time we love good things too much. You know, don't you wish it was that clear? You know, I mean, we have the power of the Holy Spirit who convicts us, but sometimes what can we do with our hearts? We can harden our hearts, we can callous over our hearts the hardest thing we will ever do in this life as believers is live in the world engage with the world but not be of the world isn't that a tension do you feel the tension of that if you don't feel the tension of that then that means that you may be a part of the other world because all christians Should be so convicted at points with, you know, should I buy this? Should I buy that? Do I want this promotion too much? Am I too concerned about where I graduated from college and the degree that I earned? Am I too concerned with how much money I have in my bank account? Am I too fixated on what I drive? You know, these things are difficult, it's a challenge. You know, the themes continue in the Old Testament. When Herod was seeking after Jesus' life, where did Jesus and his family have to flee? Where did they have to flee? Egypt. And what did God through the Holy Spirit do to Jesus and his family when the threat was gone? He called his son out of Egypt. That's the call for today. Out of Egypt I've called my son, Matthew tells us. Hosea tells us. Out of the world I have called my son. So difficult. Think about Israel and Babylon. In the Old Testament, 586 B.C., Israel gets totally destroyed. The Babylonians come in, destroy the temple, take tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 Jews into captivity in Babylon, 70 years later, when God said to his people in Babylon, come out, what did the people do? The vast majority, probably 90% of the Jews stayed in Babylon. Only a tiny remnant returned. It is incredibly difficult to be in the world and not of the world. I was talking to some people before the sermon. A challenge for a teacher or a Bible study leader is like, I want to give me the tool, myself. Like, how do I know when this is happening? How do I know when I'm becoming too worldly? Obviously, in some situations, it's very clear. And your spouse will call you out on it, you know? Very legitimately. Other times... Would you not agree it is so subtle? It is so insidious? Like you tell yourself like, you know, I do need a new car or a new used car. Um, My current car is unreliable. You know, I need a car that's safe. I want my children. I mean, as parents who are maybe trying to help their children get, you know, cars for the first time, I mean, as a parent, what are you concerned about? You want an airbag in every part of that car. In the side panels, up front, in the back, you want it everywhere. You want their car like to be one of those big balls, like you know what I mean, when it gets run into. And that's not cheap, is it? They don't give those kind of cars away. You think, am I indulging my children? Am I being too worldly? I want them to be safe and protected when they drive to college. I wish I had the answer to these things. You know, should we join clubs or organizations? Should we play tennis a lot, you know? Should we play golf a lot? Should we fund our hobbies? Should we buy, you know, vintage cars to rebuild? Should we give all our money away? I got a lot more I could bring up, you know? (laughs) Do you feel this? I feel it greatly. I feel it every day all the time here's the essence I think but the passage tells us the barometer for worldliness that if you if you're working on this one thing then sanctification and holiness will follow if you realize and internalize this one thing then over time, you will not want to be like the world. You'll see the world for what it is. You'll want to minister to the world because that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. I'm not telling you to leave the world. You know, I'm not telling you to not be around unbelievers. Then you'd have to leave the world. No, 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 no. I want you there. I want you embedded there. But I want you to live for me there. Look at verse 7, and then I'll close with this. What is the baseline... Bottom line, foundational heart attitude of the world. This is what we should be asking ourselves. You know, after the sermon, after church, later this week, how much of this attitude is true in us? Here's what the world says in verse 7. In her heart, meaning this is who she is, in her heart, Babylon, the world, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I don't have any needs. And mourning, I shall never see. I have no needs. I'm just fine. Everything I need, all of my desires are met in this world. The reverse is true according to C.S. Lewis. He said, when I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, then I know that I was made for another world. Brothers and sisters, remember, as beautiful as this world can be with children and wives and family and parents and jobs, don't forget, this is not our home. This is not our final destination. We are on our way to the promised land, and that should inform everything we do and how we live. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for these timely reminders. If I'm honest, Heavenly Father, I am all too often in the world and just like it. If I am honest, oftentimes for David Ray, my life is indistinguishable from the unbelieving world. Father, convict me of the many ways that I express this. Humble me. Show me my need for the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Give me eyes to see where my priorities should be. Give me spiritual eyes to see what really matters. Help me to understand where my true home, my ultimate home, home is, and help me to live for that world. Holy Spirit of the living God, don't do this only for me. Do it for everyone in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.